You open your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We've been walking through this text over the last couple of weeks. We started off by asking the question, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And we looked at Paul's testimony in his life and how he was put in prison, but in the midst, in the midst of all of that, he trusted in the Lord. Last week we looked at how to live uh, under the right conscience, how to live with the right conscience, living under a clear conscience. And we looked at Scripture through 2 Corinthians and talked about how uh, even though people may um, misinterpret what we are doing, as long as we're living with a clear conscience, that's okay. Today I want us to talk about the subject, the heart of compassion. Christians are compassionate people. And let's see that this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and following. Paul continues his thought from last week. He said, but I determined this within myself, that I would not come to you again in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who has made me sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I come, when I came... I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is in the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has grief, has grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was, in, uh, which, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For indeed, if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven the one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd bless the reading of your word today. God, speak to us. May we not just be hearers of the word, but may we be doers of the word as well. In Jesus' name, amen. This Sunday, for many, many years, uh, in Southern Baptist life, has been set aside for sanctity of human life. Uh, in fact, it was Ronald Reagan back in the 80s that set this Sunday apart to remember life and to set it aside as a, uh, as a celebration, but also as a prayer. The sanctity of human life. And Southern Baptist has set aside this January Sunday for us to remember uh, not just the life of the unborn. We remember the life of the unborn. And we pray. We pray for those that are in office that they would choose legislation that would go with the pro-life movement and the life that there is a living human being in the womb of every single mother who has conceived. So we remember that today. And we are compassionate people that we recognize that life comes from God. But not only when the life is born, that does not mean that our pro-life agenda or our pro-life prayer stops. Because there are so many things that happen outside the womb that goes with pro-life. 
The Bible talks about how we are to remember those who are less fortunate, maybe those who are in the adoption agency or those that are orphaned. And we, we remember those. And for some, God places that, that calling on their life to, to go as far as they can under the adoption uh, agency and to adopt children into their own home, those that may be less fortunate. That is all because we believe in life. And we are compassionate to those that are less fortunate. I read the stories of some of our college students who went to uh, a, um, a conference in January called Passion. And that Passion Conference had another ministry called Compassion. And many of you are familiar with Compassion. And it's a ministry that, that lines up individuals with children all over the world that, are, that have needs, that are less fortunate and how many of us can come through a monthly donation to help provide food and clothing and other uh, essentials to life. And some of you even today support children all over the world. And how the college students not only made a difference in lives, but took every child from several different countries and are now being supported. That's because we are compassionate people. We remember the life of orphans and those that are less fortunate. But life is also, a pro-life is also, we're compassionate to those that are elderly. Those that are struggling in health. We believe that our last day on this earth is designed by God. That there's no assistance, that anything we should do to, to, uh, to fast forward our death day. That we believe God understands all of that. And pro-life means that we care about not only the unborn, but also all the way up to those that may be close to glory, those that are elderly and those that are less able to take care of even themselves. Everything I've just said, you're probably, yeah, I believe that. I believe that. We need to take care of the unborn. We need to take care of the, the orphans. We need to take care of the elderly. All of that is a heart of compassion. But there's so much more that's under that umbrella when it comes to compassion. We're compassionate because we are compassionate to every single person that we know. Unborn. Orphans, elderly, you're compassionate to the people that are sitting beside you. If somebody is in need and you know of a need, because of your compassion at heart, you want to take care of that because of what Christ has done for you. I haven't mentioned the individual or the group that Paul mentions here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Because in this text, he's not talking about being compassionate to the unborn. Or compassionate to the orphan or to the elderly. Or even to those that we worship with today that are our friends. Paul is saying we must have a heart of compassion to those who have wronged us. To those that have sinned against us. See, our compassion doesn't mean that we're just compassionate towards some people and not to others. Because Jesus looked upon us having a Shepherd, having like sheep who has no shepherd, and showed compassion. No matter if we deserved it or not, he was compassion, compassionate. And in the same way, we are as well. So I want us to learn from this text this morning how to have a heart of compassion to those who have wronged us. And it's a lesson that all of us needs to understand today. So I want to show you a couple of things from this text. The first one comes from these first four verses. And Paul continues a thought 
that he mentioned last week. Let me, before I read again, let me just kind of uh, 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 once again set the context of what's happening from verse 12 of chapter 1 even to what we're going to read today. Paul changed his plans. Paul went to the church of Corinth at one time. He went there and there was a man who was prob- who, who uh, many do, do not understand, do not know exactly why Paul went, but you can put two and two together. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a man that is in, in fornication, in immorality. And he's disciplined. And he is let go of the church. So Paul goes to confront this situation because there are false teachers during that time. The, the visit was short. It did not turn out good. In fact, the Corinthian church did not side and did not support Paul. So Paul leaves. And instead of going back, he pins a letter that we'll soon read about here in just a few minutes. But Paul is facing some difficult situations. There are people who are calling him a liar. People who are saying, you're not from God because you changed your plans. And Paul teaches us how to have a heart of compassion. Verse 1 says, But I determined with my own, or within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. Paul's heart is hurting. He's hurting because of the church. Because of the sin that's in the church. And because they have yet to repent. There are people in the church that are false teachers. There are those that are in sin. But he's looking at this as a whole of the church. I am sorrowful. Because of what's happening in the church. And he says in verse 1, I determined within myself that I would not come to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Having confidence in you all that my joy is in the joy of you all. How to have a heart of compassion. Number one is you are sensitive to others. You are sensitive to others. Because of Paul's compassionate heart, instead of going and making a situation worse, he chooses to stay away. He chooses to stay away because there's some business that needs to take care of in the church of Corinth. Paul has already written a severe letter. It's not 1st or 2nd Corinthians. I mentioned when we introduced this book that Paul wrote several letters to the church of Corinth. And one of them that we do not have is one that is very severe. Calling them on the carpet. Calling them because of their sin. And they are dealing with this. So Paul stays away. He is sensitive of what's happening in there. When you have a heart of compassion, you have a sensitivity toward other people. The old slogan is this. A bulldog can beat up a skunk, but it's not worth it. And as Paul is addressing this, he says, I can go there. And I can call, say, hey, I'm an apostle of God. You need to make sure that that you listen and that I've got a word from God. He could have done all of that and been right. Yet he was sensitive because of his compassionate heart. And he chooses to stay away to give them an opportunity to repent. And then he decides to go back. Verse 3 says, I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. He says, having confidence in you all that my joy is in the joy of you all. He says, you're the one that brings me joy. But right now there is sorrow. Out of much affliction, verse 4, and anguish of heart. He says, I wrote to you 
with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Paul is saying, look, I am sensitive to what's going on. And I'm not writing to prove that, the, that, 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 that I am better. He says, I am writing this letter. This letter that is severe. He says, because I love you. And because I love nothing more than to see the church purified and unified. And I want to make sure you understand that. One of the hardest things as, as a human being, and I know I struggle with it in the same as, as you, that when we are compassionate toward people, is to be sensitive to other people's needs. Many of us would have probably took the first plane or vehicle or however we can get to this church in Carth and go and, and say, man, you need to fix things. And yet Paul stays back and he writes and he shares his love for the church Matthew 9, 36, I mentioned this a while ago, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. This is Jesus. Moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You'll know who your real friends are, that when you mess up or there's something that happens that's not in, a, in accordance to, to the Lord and your walk with Christ, that friend will come to you and say, hey, I just want you to understand I'm sensitive to what is going on. And I'm sharing this because I love you. And my desire for you is to be just like Jesus. I don't want to throw it under the rug. I don't want to move on. I don't want to ignore it. But I'm sensitive to what's happening in your life. I hope you've got a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ that can speak that truth into your life. And to be sensitive and to have this heart of compassion. But there's a second thing the scripture says in verse 5. How to have a heart of compassion. Number one, you're sensitive to others. But number two, you love the church. You love the church. Verse 5 says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent not to be too severe. Paul is saying, look, there's an issue between me and somebody in that church. And it's grieved me. And Paul says, look, it hasn't just grieved me, but it's grieved all of you. Now that last phrase right there, it says, all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. What Paul is saying, he says, I, I don't want to exaggerate too much. But when there's a problem between one church member and another church member, it affects the entire church. No matter how big or how small the church is, if there's division between two individuals and there is grief, it is like a cancer that spreads throughout the entire congregation. That's why it is so critical for unity in the local church that every time we walk through these doors that there is nothing that is, that is, that is unforgiven. Everything has been laid at the altar of God. And that no matter where we may sit or who we may see, we are in right relationship with every single person that God has brought this way. Because if not, not only does it affect you and someone else, but it, it affects the entire church. And a heart of compassion means you love the church. Your love for the church is greater than keeping some type of bitterness or some type of grudge towards something that has happened, which most of the time is silly and trivial. We just can't forgive. 
So we love the church. In church life, those that bring you the greatest joy can oftentimes bring you the greatest sorrow. Those that you have fellowship with for years and years and years and have had no cross words, one word, one decision changes all of that. But you love the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Many of you have been a part of First Baptist Church for a long time. You remember not only this campus, but you remember the, the downtown campus. And then some of you can even go further back than that. And it has showed your dedication and your love for the church. The church as a corporate, church as a universal, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the, the local church that God has placed you in, first called First Baptist Church, Grenada, Mississippi. And you love this church. And you come out here on a rainy and dreary day and you come to church because you're physically able to come and you love this place. You love the church. There have been good times. There have been difficult times. There have been times you can shout to the rooftops and praise the name. There are times where you've come in and you feel like your world is falling apart, but you have showed up because you love the church. And if somebody's beside you, you want to extend a hand or an olive branch and greet them and say, welcome to church. And you're inviting people to Sunday school and you're inviting people that you different places around the community that you come in contact with because you love the church. All of that is a is a compassionate heart. That is who you are. That is who we are. So when something happens to someone, like Paul says it right here, he says, it hasn't just grieved me, but it has grieved all of you. But I want to be a compassionate person, not just because I'm sensitive, but because I love the church. And when one part of the body aches, the whole body aches. And when one part suffers, so does everybody else. I don't know if you know this or not, but many of you, are, you, you have this gift of sensitivity. You know when someone's hurting. There's just something you can read between the lines. You know if there is, there is something in someone's life, whether it's somebody that's not talking, or whether it's somebody that walks in and sees where some person's sitting, so they sit on the other side. <laughs> And they say, during fellowship time, there's no way I can make it over there. And there's no way she can make it over here. So we're just going to sit there. We understand all of that. But we learn to have a heart of compassion because we love the church. Every word that we say affects the entire church body. Every action, every decision affects the entire church body. And Paul says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me but all of you to some extent, and not, not to be too severe, not, not, not to exaggerate, but it is. As one member suffers, so does everyone else. So let's move on through. We're talking about a heart of compassion. We love the church. We're sensitive toward others. But verse 6 says, this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So Paul is saying, hey, the discipline that you gave was right. Paul's not saying the church you did wrong. 
this man had sinned. And like I said, we don't know exactly who this man is talking to. The only assumption is, if you read the first letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a man called in immorality. He was not repentant, not at this time, and he was excluded from the church. But he said that punishment, which was by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. He says, so that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and to comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Number three, you forgive the sinner. To have a heart of compassion. You are sensitive toward others. You love the church. And because you love the church and you love the head of the church, which is Jesus Christ, you forgive those who have sinned. We learn from 2 Corinthians that this man who had, been, who had been let go of the church evidently had a change of heart. He must have repented because this man is desiring to come back. But the church is saying, no, you messed up. You're gone. We did what the scripture says in Matthew 18, which we'll look at in just a second. And we let you go. You can't come back in. Paul says you ought to forgive and to comfort him and reaffirm your love to him. We are good about standing on the truth and isolating people. But the Bible says in Galatians 6, those who are mature restore those who have fallen. Boy, we can stand for the truth. But when it shows to be a heart of compassion, that's where we need the Holy Spirit of God to help us and to forgive those who have wronged us. To be compassionate toward all people. Verse 7, so that on the contrary you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. Lest perhaps such be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Keep your finger right there in 2 Corinthians. And I want you to turn back to Matthew 18. No matter how many times you've heard this, we always need to be reminded of what Jesus tells us. How we approach someone who has sinned against us. Matthew chapter 18. And I want to start in verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and put it on Facebook and spread it around all of the world. Hang on, let me get back to the Scripture. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Period. First step. Second step. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Step three. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, you don't go to the church to exclude the man. You go to the church to say, we have gone as an individual and nothing's happened. There's no repentance. We've taken two or three, and there's yet to be repentance. 
So you bring the matter before the church. And many believe that you bring the matter to exclude them from the church. No, that's step four. Step three, the Bible says, you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to hear the church, let him be like a heathen and a tax collector. Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two, or you, or two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So we forgive the sinner. If somebody has wronged us, we go to them in love, with a sensitive heart, with a heart of compassion, praying that they repent. And if it doesn't happen, find you one or two that are mature in the faith and say, we're coming to you because we love you. And because of our desire to see you walk with Christ. And because of a heart of compassion. And to understand that they are part of the local body. That there is no unity in the church and there's, until there is unity between us. And it has to go further. You can see how the scripture goes ahead. Church discipline is not practiced a lot in churches today. I don't know if that's good or if that's bad. I pray that it is good. What I mean by church discipline, I mean going all the way to church to, to step three. I pray that we are mature enough in our walk with Christ. That when we do mess up, and somebody approaches us, a brother in Christ, we hug their neck and say, thank you. And I repent. And I ask that you forgive me for what I have done. So this man back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or, or woman, like I said, or, or the scripture does say him, so it is a man, that, that, that you are to forgive him. He's telling the church, you are to forgive. Remember, you are people of compassion. You are to forgive him. Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Luke 17, 3, Jesus says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Verse 9 and following in closing. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Hello. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven the one for your sakes in the presence of Jesus Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Number four, to have a heart of compassion, you're sensitive you love the church. Number three, you forgive the sinner. Then number four, you are living in forgiveness. Not only do you forgive the sinner, but just like every breath that you take, every word you say is a word of forgiveness. That nobody can do anything to you that they cannot earn or gain your forgiveness. You are living in forgiveness. Forgiveness. Jesus taught that an unwillingness to forgive is an evidence of not having experienced real forgiveness. Look back at the text. He says in verse 9, To this end I wrote. He says, I want to put you to the test whether to see if you're obedient in all things. Not just some things, but in everything. 
He says, you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven the one of your sakes in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, I have a duty as a Christian, as one who is compassionate, to forgive. Remember, as Paul writes this letter, you can read it in all of chapter 1. Paul is, is hurting. Paul has been called every name in the book. Not only verbally persecuted, but also physically he says here in the last part of verse 1, there's been times where he's been left to die so that he wouldn't trust in himself but trust in the Lord. And Paul's saying, look, I was the one that was wronged. And yet I've already offered him forgiveness in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to do the same thing because you live in forgiveness. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts. This is part of the, the, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will you forgive, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiven people forgive. If you cannot forgive today, there's two questions, two outcomes that will be. Number one, you're out of fellowship with God. Because our Lord Jesus Christ, his, one of his last words on the cross was to forgive those who were punishing him. Jesus Christ forgave us of our sins. And if there are believers who will not forgive, we are out of fellowship with him. But the second thing that may be true is if one cannot forgive... It's because they truly hadn't been forgiven. And they don't understand truly what forgiveness is all about. Forgiven people forgive. If you've been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ, He looked upon us and showed us agape love in the midst of all of our sin. And He died for me. No matter what I said to Him or what I've done to Him, He, he died. He went on a cross with, with, with nails in His hand and a spear in His side had his beard plucked out, had 39 lashes on his back because he loved all of us and he forgave us of all of our sins. Why can't we say, I forgive you? You are living in forgiveness. One person said to another one, I never forgive. The other person says, I hope you never sin because we need forgiveness every day of our life. Every day. Every day we wake up to the mercies of God and live in His forgiveness. Christ not only demands that we forgive, but He also empowers us to do so. The great thing about this text in the last part of verse 10 says, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us. We're not ignorant of His desires, of, of His devices. Paul was able to forgive because of his relationship with Christ. So the issue this morning is not, God, give me the words to be able to forgive. Maybe the issue today is, God, draw me close enough to you, the forgiver, to give me the power and the ability to forgive someone who has wronged me. Remember, we love life. We love the unborn. We love the orphans. We love the elderly. We love those around us that love us and care for us. 
But we are compassionate people to those who need the most compassion, and that's those who have wronged us. So be sensitive to others. Love the church. Forgive the sinner. And live in a life of forgiveness. Father, I ask this morning, God, that each of us would look in our hearts. God, this is a subject that all of us deal with every day. Because every day we live our life, there's someone who may say something that wrongs us. There is someone who misunderstands us. There is someone who says something to us that they wish they could bring back. And God, help us to be people of compassion. People of compassion to every single person in our life. God, I pray for First Baptist Church. And I know, Lord, I speak on behalf of many here today that love this church. Lord, their desire is to see it grow. Their desire is to see it more involved in, in missions and in our community and reaching people with the gospel. Lord, one of the best ways to show the gospel is that when somebody's wronged us, We say, it's okay. I forgive you. And I forgive you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ who has forgiven me of all my sin. I forgive you. Lord, I lift up this invitation time. There may be those who need to come who's never experienced true forgiveness of their sins. And how, Lord, you died for them and you died for this world for all the sins of the world. And God, there may be a man or woman, teenager, boy or girl, who just needs to step out and to come. Say, Brother John, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need forgiveness of my sins. And I need to experience His overwhelming power of grace in my life. And God, there may be others who have other decisions, those who may need to come for baptism or for church membership. Lord, however you have placed on their heart, God, would we respond to you today? In Jesus' name. Let's